Before we start this podcast, we would like to take the opportunity to mention that we now have a Patreon page where you can help to support, evolve and continue these compassionate conversations. Please visit patreon.com slash voce dialogues for more information. Welcome everyone to the Voce Dialogues, Voices of Compassionate Evolution. I'm Chloe Goodchild, founder of The Naked Voice, and this is our new online community where we are exploring, deepening, and evolving our awareness of the transforming power of compassion. Enjoy these new dialogues with a wide range of artists, musicians, writers, and philosophers, social entrepreneurs, and sacred activists. They are all visionaries, transforming lives through the art of conscious creative expression with practices inspired by their own unique life experience. The Voce Dialogues are dedicated to the compassionate evolution of life on Earth. Greetings, everyone. I am so privileged today to be in conversation with Anne Baring, a very, very old friend. Anne is a Jungian analyst, and she's the author and co-author of many books, including the book with Jules Cashford, The Myth of the Goddess, Evolution of an Image, with Andrew Harvey, The Mystic Vision, and The Divine Feminine. Anne also made this beautiful book called Soul Power with Scylla Elworthy. And her most recent book, published in 2013, is The Dream of the Cosmos, A Quest for the Soul. Anne's work is devoted to the restoration of the lost sense of communion between us and the invisible dimension of the cosmos that is the source or ground of all that we call life. Anne's website, annebearing.com, is devoted to the affirmation of a new vision of reality and the issues facing us at this crucial time of choice on Earth. So, Anne, a big welcome to you. Thank you for that lovely introduction, Chloe. I don't know where you had all the facts, just <laughs> by your side. So this is lovely, lovely to be in touch with you again, I must say. It truly is. It's a really, really precious moment. Uh, I'm very, very grateful that we are reconnecting again. And uh, I remember the last time I saw and heard you was when you were delivering your beautiful uh, lecture in Dartington on your understanding of your whole life in the lineage of Ramana Maharshi and Francis of Assisi and Carl Jung and more recently your connection with Nassim Haramein and his work as a new scientist with quantum resonance and so on. And that was just startling for me and so exciting because I just happened upon it myself. And so it was amazing to hear you making the connections there. I would love for us to just unfold a conversation together around the whole theme of compassion, what it is, how it's emerging in our time and how it is being challenged and what it means for you, how it showed up in your life. My first direct experience of compassion was when I was watching the dreadful Kosovan situation with the poor women and children desperately trying to get on the train to escape 
the horror that they were experiencing. Mm. And I wrote a poem about it, in fact, called The Tragedy of War. And that really stirred me into life. That was, I think, in 1999. And I think probably that was the beginning of my book, The Dream of the Cosmos, A Quest for the Soul, because I felt that something was desperately missing in the world's understanding of what, who we are and what we're doing on this planet. Mm. And what was missing was the idea that we're within a greater entity, which I call cosmic soul, and that we're all connected with each other. And so when I came across the work of Nassim Haramein in the scientific understanding of this connection through the quantum vacuum or quantum plenum, that really rung a bell. And that was in 2015, I think, when I gave that talk anyway. Yes. So it's been a long, not so long, really, 1999 to 2015, 15 mm. years. But that saw the growth of my compassion and the ability to express it in literary form. Unfortunately, I don't have a wonderful voice like Chloe. You can express it um, through the voice, but I can express the voice in writing. And that was my gift, really. And that was my gift coming into its full expression in that final book that I wrote. I would contest your relationship with your voice <laughs> because it's a very beautiful voice. But there's no question that the soul is drawn and gifted to communicate itself in specific ways. The whole way in which we relate to our voice, I think, is, is a very important part of the conversation, really. There's no question that the way that you have communicated through your books, and particularly The Dream of the Cosmos, and it's a mighty work uh, and a mighty voice moving through that. Yes, I think it's a powerful voice because it gives the whole history of how we lost touch with the soul and our own soul, not only the soul of the cosmos, but our own soul because of that. Mm. And it's really to recover the connection to the heart. The heart is really the, the pipeline to the soul. But if you're not in touch with your heart, you really cannot feel this compassion that is really rising up all over the world now and different people as they wake up to the need for this and the need to express what they're feeling in their heart. So I think that's very important to remember, even in the embryo, the connection between the heart and the right hemisphere of the brain comes first before the, the more uh, rational left hemisphere develops. So that in itself is, is something that's important to know, I think. So we're really going back to the embryonic state when we make that connection to the heart as we come into this life. And then it takes us probably quite a few years to make that connection again because our culture is so repressive of the heart and so ignorant of the need for the heart and the need for compassion in, in every sphere, particularly in the education of children. Absolutely. Because if we think of the heart as the absolute ground of our awakening, our potential to awaken fully, it is fascinating how that connects me also with the sound of the human voice how the sound of the human voice when you really hear it and really accept it and really express it how that experience of sound is the ground of being that really comes from that sound can only happen can't it if we are connected absolutely in the center of the chest in the center of the heart of who we are it's interesting, isn't it, that so often a baby, that sound is emitted as soon as the baby is born. I mean, that sound, that first primal sound. 
is the expression of I am here. Yes, absolutely. And it is the heart and the voice is our connection to the cosmos, I think. It's not only the connection to the whole world around us, but also to this deeper dimension that we know so little about. It's as if it's coming through from another dimension when we really are in touch with our heart and with our voice, our true voice. And why is it, Anne, that our relationship with our voice has become um, identified with it being such a sort of performative, entertainment, expressive, essentially ego-driven activity, rather than, as you're just implying now, a received experience, an experience that is actually received from the cosmos. I know Hazrat Inayat Khan speaks a lot about that. Well, I think it's because we're not educated to listen from childhood, where there's no time to listen once we get through the babyhood stage and then in the toddler stage and then we get into the school stage and that's when it goes because unless we have a mentor or some kind of helping adult around us like a granny or a grandpa or something to Mm -hmm. take us out into nature and just look and to listen to what's around us then that child's heart will be closed down at the age of five or six and it will stay closed possibly until they have some traumatic experience at the age of 30, 40, 50, which brings them into connection with what they've lost. And I think this has happened to our whole culture, which has, since the World War II, has been focused entirely on developing entertainment on the surface, on um, television, and now on the internet. Mm. And all the connection is wonderful in one, one way, but we actually lose relationship we lose the sense of a feeling relationship with the world around us and with other people because there's no time for so much on our mobiles. um, There's no time. Time is absolutely essential for connecting with the heart. Mm. Essential. It's incredible. It's probably why you and I both had to go out to the East to really reconnect with that understanding for whatever reason we couldn't find it here uh, in the West. As you say, it's just not in our educational culture. No, and it wasn't in religion either, because in religion you're told what to believe, but you're not listened to, and you don't learn to tune in to the deeper ground at all. Mm -hmm. So now we've got that kind of severance between doctrinal religion and fluffy spirituality of the New Age, and there is something else, isn't there? There's a third place. There's a third place, and that's why I went to the East, and that's, as you say, why you went to the East. I was looking for what was missing in the West. Mm. I found it in the East. I found it in uh, the teaching of Sri Ramana. Mm. Really said, who are you? Ask the question, who am I? And so that question has really guided my life. And then there was also the wonderful teaching of St. Francis, which was about compassion, compassion for the animals, compassion for the suffering people of his time. I think that a great cry of despair is going up now, which is audible at last because of television and because of the media. We can hear it. Mm-hmm. So we can listen to what the suffering people are saying, like the people on trying to get through the border into America, looking at uh, Somalia, fighting going on there, the struggle for power. I mean, everywhere, in every country in the Middle East, there's suffering. Mm-hmm. And these poor people who have no voice, really, because... We hear it and we see it, but we don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So this is where compassion really comes in. We need to strengthen the power to act on behalf of all these suffering people. Mm-hmm. Stop the nonsense of the huge amount of money that's being spent on weapons 
and change the direction of that money into helping the suffering and educating the people, relieving their physical ailments. Dozens of avenues in which compassion can be expressed. And we need to divert the money from what is being spent on weapons. Certainly America spends over one and a half trillion a year on weapons. And that's only America. And what about all the other countries like India and Pakistan? And what about UK, China, etc.? All this money going into things which are destined to destroy others. That is where lack of compassion is shown. You know, the absolute failure in the capacity for compassion is shown in all this commitment to having ever more weapons to destroy other people with. Would you agree with that? Oh my goodness me, it's, it's extraordinary. Is it that kind of militaristic, warring faction of the ego? It's, it's obviously in all of us, isn't it? It exists, that kind of dynamic of duality and I'm better than you are, superiority, inferiority, win-lose. All that comes from survival instincts, deep, deep, very ancient survival instincts that have got structured into the ego, as you say, the ego situation of all the governments in the world which are just reflecting really the most atavistic aspects of our nature and not really coming together, which they should be, to act in compassionate action to help the suffering people of the world. Or, you know, acting together in unison instead of against each other all the time, competing with each other, yeah. which, which is coming from these survival instincts. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that we have to look so far back for our inspiration, as far back as... Francis of Assisi, for example, which I totally resonate with you on. I spent five weeks not long ago just sitting in Assisi, just being there in the, in the presence and the energy that emanated from his life and from the unconditional presence that he left behind. And I suppose the same thing happened with Jung, of course, that that was another major, major presence that has had a really profound impact on the way that we evolve our understanding of compassion. Yes, but unfortunately, the work of Jung has only reached a tiny fraction of humanity. What we need is finding some way of reaching the whole of humanity. Which is presumably where this understanding of the field and of the interconnected web, which is now mm. you know, coming through Nassim's work and Joe Dispenza and all kinds of people. Yes, well, I hope so. That needs to spread uh, as much as far as possible. But there's also the whole thing of, which we haven't talked about is really healing the wounded heart of humanity. Right. Wounds that have been inflicted centuries and millennia ago and have never been healed because they've never been acknowledged. Because right. nobody acknowledges the terrible results and effects of war going back 4,000 years. All stuck in the collective psyche. Pain, really, that's been held Yes. in the collective psyche. And it's the, the pain that keeps recreating the situations that we're facing now. Well, it's so interesting what you're saying, because I was just speaking with Jill Perth about this and about how she's found that her journey with sound, for example, and with Tibetan overtoning and with the mantric sound and how mm -hmm. that all took off in her life and impacted her at a specific time, but how she actually came to a similar place uh, as you're presently describing of realizing that unless we can really heal the, the family and the ancestral wounding of our culture, the sound is only going to take place in, in a very sort of superficial way, except for a kind of minority of individuals that are just completely dedicated to exploring that way. And she's now working with family and ancestral healing and integrating the 
the sound of the wounding, the voicing of that wounding and how, for example, mantra and ceremony and sacred ritual and an invoking of sacred presence, of unconditional presence through sound. Through sound. Well, this could be done in the churches if they put a different focus on their healing work, really. If they had actual services of healing the collective psyche, going back not only to the First and Second World Wars, but way, way back to um, God knows what that happened 2,000 years ago. You know, they could have a, a mass healing of the world. Mm-hmm. They all came together. It would have very, very powerful effect. Musicians creating uh, music for that specific purpose. What do you think about that? Well, it's funny you say that because I was just working with a group in London not long ago, about 50 people there. We were just working as a field, what we call a singing field, and people were working in pairs. So there was, there was a constant presence of an unchanging note. That unchanging note, in a way, is a kind of outer symbol or a, a heard symbol, a vibration of the one unchanging and infinite, infinitely unchanging self. Yes, that's, that's a lovely idea. Like a drone, you mean, in the background? It was like a drone. And so that was, that was held. And we found the drone, first of all, the sound of the field of the people sounding together. And then they were sounding just in twos and then in threes, in triads, because I'm very interested in this interface between the observing mind and the intuitive mind and the musical mind, how those three realms can dance together. And it's the musical mind that seems to be the piece that a lot of people think they haven't got anything to do with because they weren't taught music at school. It comes down to that very basic fact. But the musical mind, for me, is our attention to that unchanging note. Well, that's a lovely idea. Maybe that could spread because that would be something that people could do. Right, it's instantly accessible to people. Exactly. And you could do it on the internet even, and, and not only with the meditation groups they have, but with the sound groups, making yes. the sound. I think it's coming. I think it's happening. There's this incredible project called Just Dig It. Basically, it's, it's a kind of, it's a world movement working with indigenous groups all around the world with sound, with music, mm. while they are digging the earth to invite the rain back into the desert lands, for example, mm-hmm. uh, or where there's been just extraordinary drought. Sounding the sound which would revive the earth and revive the water and, and that sort of thing, because basically yeah. the sound is love, and that's another thing. I think that this sound which we need to discover, which you probably know, is the, the sound of love. If we can get the note to carry throughout yeah. the world... That could be tremendously healing. I've got this beautiful saying from Rumi, love is the water of life. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, that's just beautiful. And the water of the soul and the soul sings in that knowledge, doesn't it? It And I'm sure that what the indigenous people are doing, because they understand what they're doing, Mm. uh, could be put out in a much wider way. Let us find the note that is the healing note which carries the vibration of love. We've got to really learn how to embody compassion within ourselves before we can really uh, make it happen in the world. It's both and, of course, isn't it? It's- well, you can be turned, compassion can be turned on like it was with me, like watching something terrible on television and her, her heart really broke open. Right. 
Right. That, that's what one needs. And it wasn't for myself. It was my longing to do something to help them. You've just reminded me that I remember we once brought Ramdas to Europe. He showed a slideshow of Auschwitz films, absolutely ter- horrendous images, whilst at the same time simultaneously playing this really ethereal, beautiful music so that you had to find within yourself, within the visual and within your own heart, this compassion. Because pain, as you say, or you're seeing pain on the screen or feeling pain yourself is a, is a real wake-up call. It's the door to go through. And I was thinking there, as you spoke, I was watching a program last night of that wonderful vet and Mm. how his response to animals is deep love. Each animal that he sees is special for him. Each animal, he feels it's suffering and he knows that he can heal it, which is marvelous. He has the capacity to heal through his operations that he's doing. Mm. But that program is so wonderful because the quality of love is so powerful and Mm. so visible. So it's visible in the way that people bring their animals, that they really love those animals and they would you know, want to save their lives or help them in any way they can. So one has to find there are many, many things that can activate this compassion and this deep love yes. from that example that I've just given to um, children feeling things deeply to seeing something on television which affects us. But they're all, I want to just also mention the emotions that can go with the activation of compassion because they're not only the feeling of love, but there's also anger that this situation exists. There's despair at the lack of ability to help it. There's frustration that more can't be done. There's incredulity that people can be so cruel to each other. And there's passionate desire for action on behalf of others. So all those emotions are intermingled with each other when we actually act to do something. This is terribly important because I have spent quite a lot of time just researching the music of anger, the sound of anger, what that actually sounds like. Because when you hear it, when you sound it in its primal form, but you're not just sounding it as in a psychodramatic way, you are sounding it with that discerning, observing mind at the same time as with the empathic mind. Yes. which is and With, at the same time, you're expressing it through the heart of the musical mind something like that. Yes, I understand what you mean, although I haven't experienced it because I haven't got the power of, of using my voice in that way. But Just I your speaking voice. It. It's incredibly powerful, Anne. I can hear in your sound, you communicate such deep, deep values and deep understanding through the music of your spoken voice. That's lovely, thank you. That's very, very clear and, and will be to absolutely everybody else that knows and has heard you. It's so interesting because I do want to ask you, what do you think is happening? So when, when, when I ask someone how they feel about their voice and they say they don't, they don't think they've got a very good voice, just as you were saying just then, that's not my gift. You see, I would absolutely dispute that immediately because you are communicating through the spoken voice. That is your music. We've done a little bit of research to show that it's something like 80% of people, if you ask them how do they feel about their voice, they will say, I haven't got one, I don't like it. Whereas in fact, so the other day, I was taught something really profound about this. And I'd love to hear your uh, perception of this. This woman had this exquisitely deep, embodied, full throttle voice, doing extraordinary conscientious and compassionate work in the world, helping people to face terminal illness. 
with courage, with sound. And I said, you have an incredible voice. I wonder why we're in this conversation. So I said, how do you feel about your voice? And immediately I asked her, how do you feel about her voice? Her voice went rocketing up into the ceiling from a very sort of this kind of strong, grounded, anchored sound. It went right up into the ceiling. And it was like a sort of, it's right up there. And then there was a kind of silence. And I said, did you hear what happened when I asked you, how do you feel about your voice? And she came back to her original beautiful speaking voice. And then I just felt compelled to find the pitch of it on the piano. I said, are you aware you're speaking on F sharp? And there was this long pause and she heard it. She got that there is no separation between speaking and singing. As soon as she heard that, it's as if her soul fell into the sound. That sound filled her up in a way that you've just been describing with grace, with, uh, with all those um, emotions, with the full gamut of emotions sinking down, deeper, deeper, deeper down through all the fear and all the terror and all the separateness. And suddenly she was completely unified with the, the spoken and the sung were one of the same thing. Well, there you are. You see, that's what can be done with people. And, and the tendency always is to be self-deprecating and say, oh, I haven't got a voice. But it's because we're not taught the value of the voice from childhood and we're not taught to sing mm. and to love singing. And mm. so the thing gets shut down. I remember you taught me how to connect with, first of all, with my solar plexus and then deeper than that. And quite a different sound came out. Maybe that's why I have a good voice now is what you taught me then. That's possible. Well, that's very kind to say that. But I think it's your wisdom and your understanding that actually informs how you embody what you know. I think it's the embodying of what you know and the unconditional presence that has been gifted. I found something I wrote in my book in which I said, compassion is a supersensory channel that can be awakened in us, possibly through the voice, I think, but it's still an unawakened potential in humanity as a whole. So I think what we've been talking about, finding the right note to sound is very important. That could, that could possibly awaken this supersensory channel. Well, it was really interesting just, just while we've been talking, and my memory of this situation in London with this group of people who found that note. And then I just said, and now we're going to create a symphony of consciousness. I've never said that before. I don't know where that came from, but it was clear that that was what was potential in the room was for us to create this interconnected field which verbalized itself as a and in creating it you become aware that it exists right you didn't know before that it existed that's right because you're having to know with a different dimension of yourself aren't you no, you're discovering right. something you didn't know before and you're expressing it right. in a way that you couldn't do before because you didn't know about it so do you think that there is something which one could call the musical mind coming back to the beginning of our conversation, the heart, the beating heart right from conception and how that music, the rhythm, the beat, the heartbeat, the whole process of birth itself is all part of this remembering and forgetting oneself. As soon as one's born, <laughs> you're in this potential sort of harmonious potential of life, aren't you? And then you're born and then the conditioning sets in. So what happened in this group was 
that we were all sounding and they were just all sounding and sounding and sounding. It sounded like Thomas Tallis had that kind of yes, marvelous resonance, like clouds and waves of etheric sound, very, very grounded because there was that unchanging note running through the whole thing. And we got to the end and there was the deepest silence. My question is always what quality of silence does your voice leave behind? And that always is an indicator of what quality of voice was speaking and where it was speaking from. And at the end of this sounding, they all just naturally came to a conclusion and there was this profound silence. It was so nourishing. It was the kind of nourishment, you know, that you experience when you've been listening to the Dalai Lama or Tutti or... Or Thomas Tallis. Thomas Tallis, exactly. And there we were. I said, God, this silence is so substantial. It's so nourishing. It feels like cake. It might, it could be cake. And we could cut this cake of silence and give this piece to Syria and give this piece to Palestine, Israel, and give this piece to Somalia and give this piece to Europe and America and so on. And it was really profound experience, uh, which I've never really encountered before, but it definitely does hail a sense of the music of the field, the music that is inherent in all of us, or is it the 50 trillion cells that we are, are vibrating, bouncing cells of sound. In well, the universe itself is sound, basically. That's its creative impulse, is to create through sound, and that sound comes down to us through our own human voice, which is so wonderful. And so when you have an experience like what you've described, you're really tuning in to the silent sound, if you like, of the universe, of the creative ground, the divine ground, which is love, really. And that's what unites us in an experience like that, which we share, and we can feel the effect of it there and then. We don't have to go in search of it. It's right there. That is, to me, the experience of unison or unity, and that compassionate delight as well as love you see what I mean because the delight is part of it the happiness and the delight of actually sharing and being in something which has not been known before that's beautiful I love that compassionate delight yeah because delight is very much part of it to the delight in being able to heal Mm -hmm. that again is, is is a faculty that we're not using we have the power to heal and we're not using it Maybe the voice is one of the means of uh, learning how to use it in a different way. Wow, what a rich conversation. I feel like we've just really opened up. And I just really want to thank you for the nourishment and the vibration of our communion together today. It was lovely for me to be able to share the feelings that I have with somebody who understands them and who's living them. So that's a great privilege for me as well as a delight. So thank you. It's, it's an absolute privilege for me and just such a joy to be back in touch with you again. I just cannot emphasize to anyone listening how important it is for you to go and purchase, if you don't have a copy already, The Dream of the Cosmos, A Quest for the Soul. Thank you so much, Anne Barry. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you.